the episode 1345 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode 1345. This is FDH managing partner Rick Morris here. And uh, right about this time of year, uh, we would normally have the Oscars well in the rearview mirror, but uh, this is 2021, the year uh, year two of the pandemic, I guess you would say. Uh, hopefully there won't be a year three. But anyways, uh, schedules are still a little bit off, yo. And uh, part of that means that the Academy Awards just t- took place here at about the end of April. So we're here to break it down. And I have, as per always, uh, he is a newly minted, uh, as of the last couple of appearances here, FDH Lounge dignitary, an official part of our family, as well as, <laughs> and I always say, fitness and pop culture expert, and uh, he always uh, cracks about uh, what, what, what an uh, eclectic combination that is, and it certainly is. And by the way, too, and I noticed from uh, going on his uh, Twitter feed, at John Bastow, of course, we cannot forget motivational speakers. Well, fitness, pop culture, motivational, FDH lounge dignitary. He is all of these things, and yet still somewhat much more than that, because also the host of JV's Fantastic Finds, which we just chatted about here uh, copiously off-air, uh, the greatest auction-slash-live show you'll ever find on Facebook Live or anywhere else. Of course, a great friend of the show, John Bastow. John, uh, pleasure as always to have you on, my man. Much love. Uh, I do not want to interrupt you when you are doing that introduction, and I just think you—I just think you had the titles um, out of priority because FDH dignitary must be first. Okay, I'm trying to be <laughs> modest here. I'm trying to be modest, but okay, sure. Uh, you know, that's uh, top billing, top billing <laughs> FDH lounge. Much appreciated, buddy. Much appreciated, and uh, of course, uh, one one could say if we're looking at this uh, objectively here. Host of JV's Fantastic Finds has got to be way up there as well, uh, because uh, you are breaking through and uh, creating uh, really almost, and this is this is your whole thing, is sort of creating genres unto itself here, a, a, a new genre out there basically for presenting for sale uh, and providing entertainment while you're doing it. Some of the best, most eclectic, there's that word again, finds that people could ever hope to get their hands on. Yeah, it is. It that show is truly uh, the most bizarre, and I think most immediately successful thing I've ever done as far as any venture, um, as as we say, where the worlds of myth and fantasy collide with jewelry. But um, it's all sorts of like unique oddities and trinkets and treasures um, that uh, you know captivate and mystify, and, and people have really you know taken a liking to the show. And I think it, it's funny because we have a line that we say. Um, you know, you come for the treasures, but you stay for the humor because the people seem to have a really good time on the show. It's like pretty much all ad lib, mm-hmm. uh, for about sometimes four hours a show. Uh, cause on the Facebook live, the max you could go is four hours. The show originally started to be like a two hour auction show. Um, and then, you know, the people kept bidding and want 
to stay and I would just, you know, stay on. And then all of a sudden, it literally just cuts you off. So um, when we do go to the four hours, they get the adrenaline rushes to like see if we could get the last thing in before we actually get physically cut off by Facebook. It is uh, just remarkable the way that it's gone. Just serendipity with the whole evolution of it, uh, as with so many of the different projects that you've had over a period of time. And uh, again, I know you mentioned to me off air, uh, starting to get into this thing, getting advertised here, uh, starting with in different markets and then uh, on, on a broader basis. So this thing is just really, really, really taken off for you. Brand new. Uh, that that actually, you are, uh, that's breaking news on FDH Lounge nice. by the FDH dignitary. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I because the commercials just started uh, last week, I think last Tuesday or something like that. Um, and, uh, and it's funny because one of the people who... Uh, regularly watches the show actually a couple who regularly watch the show um, uh, uh, husband and wife um, ended up catching the uh, one of the commercials on a jumbo screen TV in like a bar and like oh my god and you and, and they actually caught it on video and posted it on the uh, JB's fantastic find site and I'm like looking at it I'm like I'm like seeing this like a screen and I don't know if it's some somebody's house or something but then I see like a bartender like walk in front of it and the screen is bigger than the bartender and I'm like where the hell is this uh-huh. and, um, and so that was pretty impressive. I thought that was that 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 threw me for a loop. That is fun. incredible. It's, it's like world. It's like worlds like melding together because JB's Fantastic Finds was going in one totally different, unusual direction, and then combining it with the commercials brings me back all the way back to Fitness Made Simple days. It does, and and yet, and 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 in there, and with the presentation of it and the sensibility, still a very strong handle on pop culture, which uh, again is, is one of the things here. Well, one, one of the fields that you'd expanded into after your immediate one of uh, fitness here, uh, getting into that and, and pop culture where you still have obviously a very strong grasp on what's going on. And that's what's made you our go-to guy for some of these awards shows over the years. And uh, this has been a thing where uh, when you look at it this year, it might not have made a big of a ripple in terms of uh, pop culture because certainly the, the audience was at a historic low for the Academy yes. Awards on Sunday night. Uh, but uh, again, there was still, pop culture-wise, a lot of chatter about what was happening and uh, a lot of different things for us to get into. Well, yeah, and it's also it's coming at the end of a very long, uh, you know, dead air space pretty much. Um, so it, it was good just to have anything, I yes. think, come up. Because everyone was guess was was you know waiting for what's going to happen, what's going to happen, and is anything going to happen? So uh, I'm always of the belief that something is better than nothing. So even though this was, I mean, I think in my opinion, one of well, definitely by far the most bizarre Oscars yeah. ever, and, and something you could never even have predicted. Um, at least it was something, and it was there, and it shows a step back to normalcy and a step back in the right direction. I thought so as well, and it was really, really, uh, as you say, a different kind of a, a presentation. They were trying to uh, make up for uh, what the usual trappings were that were missing in terms of uh, it was basically being shot on film and presented that way, which added to a little bit more to sort of the almost surreal uh, type of atmosphere inside of uh, Union Station and the Dolby Theater. And uh, as is always the case uh, for any kind of award shows, there are some things in terms of the red carpet that will stand out. I'm just going to give you notes on a couple of the ones that I was sure. looking at here. Uh, Arian DeBose with that uh, traffic cone orange dress. That was a real showstopper. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
what, what, what about Coleman Domingo in the in, in the like pink on pink, just super hot pink, pink everywhere. Yes. Hot pink that suit. That was just the most shocking pink I've ever seen in my life. John, it, based it radiated up. through the TV. You're weirding me out. It's like you're looking at my notes. That was the next thing in my notes was Coleman Domingo in the hot pink suit. I'm wondering. I'm looking around my place for cameras right now. If you're not peeking at my notes, but yes, no, it was that. I, I know him. I, well, I, I only know him from um, one of the Walking Dead franchise ones. I think it's Fear of the Walking Dead. Yeah. Uh, which which is on right now. I had no idea what movie he was in or anything because I'm looking at the. I'm like, is that Coleman Domingo in a shocking pink full blown tux? And I'm like. I'm like, oh yes, it is. It is, and uh, it was. God bless. Uh, it God was, bless. Keep it moving. It was. It was sensational. And look, I'm. Yes. I'm. I'm willing to wear some outlandish things to get a giggle. That's probably beyond the parlance of anything I would do. But uh, you know, more power to them for that. Uh, I, I have to say. A, a vicious rumor about this next one here, uh, Laura Dern. I hope it is not true that a flock of extinct birds were sacrificed for the feathers for that flowing dress here. Let's oh let's hope that those rumors are false ones. But uh, she was uh, certainly uh, quite a vision in that thing. And somebody as tall as her, that was a lot of feathers, bro. That, uh... <laughs> That was a um, yeah aviary. That was quite the aviary concoction over there. Uh, but that, those are the ones though that get us talking. Those are the ones that get the blog uh, notifications, and those are the ones that get all the press, which is what you, which is what you look for. John, when you were saying aviary and looking for the word, I was about to pop in with. I think the word you're looking for is massacre, my man. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> no, I was trying to be nice. I, 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 I was I was going to say aviary explosion, and I didn't want to say that. I was trying to think of something after aviary besides explosion, but now I've said it, so it doesn't matter. Well, there you go. And uh, the only other note I had was Questlove uh, with the gold Crocs on the red carpet, and that is a thing where he put oh, his yes. he put yeah. his emphasis on the wrong word because he's thinking we're going to be talking about gold. But no, dude, we're talking about the fact that you wore Crocs on the red carpet. doesn't matter if there's gold, 24 carats, spray-painted, whatever they may be. They're still Crocs, dude, at the end of the day. Well, I always say, if you want to win an Oscar, <laughs> you have to channel it by dressing as an Oscar. Yeah, not the only person John. who did. <laughs> we, we had a couple folks uh, in the course of the night here uh, who, who tried to channel that a bit, and uh, he did in his own... Uh, subtle kind of way, if you want to call it that. But, uh, you know, of, of all the different uh, touches here this year that made things different, uh, part of it was, and, and this, is what, this is a take that I'm going to steal from somebody off of Twitter, of the whole mm -hmm. thing of, how do, you, how do you segue from Glenn Close twerking to, now, in memoriam? <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, Glenn Close doing the butt is uh, everywhere. It is just literally everywhere, though. That was, that was I think, one of the crowning moments of the Oscars, because you don't even have to watch the Oscars. You you saw her everywhere. Yeah. They took that clip. Yeah, and uh, go back to uh, Fatal Attraction and what was it, 87? Uh, if, if, if 87 Glenn Close had done that, it would have broken the internet if there was an internet. Horny dudes everywhere would have just been losing their S. <laughs> <laughs> She, well, how, well, is it, she's like the, well, I, I always think of um, 
from back in the day, uh, it goes to the daytime Emmys, though. Uh, the Susan Lucci, it was like, you know, always nominated, never winning. I mean, Glenn Close is pretty, I, I, she's up there. I think she's tied with somebody as the most nominated to have never gotten an Oscar uh, award. That's right. That's right. And the uh... I, I forgot who she's tied with, though, because I think she just tied them. Most nominated, never winning. Yeah, that is weird, and it, it, with the daytime ones uh, as well, you know, that's that's one of those deals. Like, you, you only have a handful of, like, true greats of the game. You got Susan Lucci that it took forever for her to break through. Mara, and I think she got two. If yeah. I'm not mistaken, I think she got two. Eventually, and I know it took a yes. long time for Mara West also, who's one of the all-time greats. And then I think once she won, she started winning a bunch. But it's just okay. like... In a genre with, you know, so few that are really at that, you know, upper, upper, upper level, you know, that haven't graduated to other things and have stayed there. It's like, how do you keep snubbing them? So, yeah, that the, the oh, daytime but, but, ones. But come on, but come on. Susan Lucci, I mean, I knew this, uh, you know, from, from the talent of grow, growing up and everything uh, when I saw her when I was very little and everything. She, I, even before I had any business sense at all, I knew that she was getting more press right. by not winning. And it was a better thing for her to lose whatever it was, 15 in a row, and then win than if she won the first one or even the seventh one. That's it true. Was so much Because there were some news stations. I remember my mother getting so upset because the news led with a story. <laughs> and Susan did, and does Susan Lucci win tonight? Find out at 11. That's... And my mother was like, how the how is that the most important news? <laughs> that that's the tease. How are they, what does it matter whether Susan Lucci wins or not? So you actually did a very good impression of my dad commenting on TV news. <laughs> so that's no. My mother would get so angry because my mother uh, was a personnel manager, I, and she was. She, okay. I remember I, when I was sick um, as a little kid. I think I had chicken pox or whatever, and I was sick at home from school for a week. And my grandmother, who watched me, nanny, would, had had the soap operas on the Channel Seven ones when I was a little kid. So the thing is. Um, you know, I got, I just, from that one week uh, of being sick, I got hooked on those Channel 7 soap operas. I've never seen any of the soap operas on any of the other networks. I don't even know what they are. But on mm -hmm. the Channel 7, which was the ABC ones, I saw them all. And my mother got so angry that I started liking them. And she, and I, and, and, and I kept watching them and everything. She always blamed Nanny for it. She, I can't believe she got him into that. Because my mother was a personnel manager. And she would say to me, she goes, she'd see the people on the show. Uh -huh. And she goes, you see that one there? Her name is so and so. She just came to me looking for a job. She's fired. She has no. She she has no recourse but to be a temp now. Wow. So and I'm like, oh my god. My mother, because my mother worked in, and, and she never wanted me to. You know, she's a good mom. She never wanted me to be in an, oh, let's say, an unstable, uh, volatile type field that you have no guarantees with. So when she saw me looking at acting and she saw me mesmerized by TV. That scared the heck out of her because she would see these people from All My Children or One Life to Live or General Ho well General Hospital was in the in California, so she wouldn't see them. But she was in New York City, so she'd see those people from One Life to Live and All My Children. When they are fired and they're looking for another job, they go they would go to like a personnel agency looking for part time temp work while they're going on auditions. Oh, wow. And so they would see her and, and she'd say that one. And, you know, they shot ahead of time on, like, All My Children and stuff like that. So she would right. tell me, she goes, well, keep watching. In about five weeks, you're not going to see her anymore because she's looking for a job now. Oh, wow. That's so, uh, yeah. that's pretty far out. Yeah, One Life to Live, that was another show that had a couple of those grand doms of daytime. And the ones that played, what was it, Vicky and Dorian? Like, those were... Oh, I, 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 
I became friends with Robin Strasser. I ran really? in the city. Yes. Oh, uh, she's she great. A, she has a Bichon Frise. And oh. I said, uh, and, and, and I'm, I'm like that, I'm like that dude that, uh, is more enchanted by the dogs than anything else. When somebody, when I'm walking on the streets and I will literally stop at dogs that what a cute dog or, uh-huh. you know, that dog's damn adorable or whatever. And I just looked up and it happened to be Robin Strasser and she had recognized me from the fitness made simple stuff. I had recognized her from sure. one life to live and we became friends and she actually invited me on the set of one life to live, have all the pictures and everything okay. like that. So I got to go to the set of one life to live and fun old time. And then a, a couple of years later, um, or a few years later, uh, I ended up interviewing uh, er- Erica Slezak, who plays Vicky yeah. Buchanan, all those years, because they were doing a revamp of the soap operas after One Life to Live got canceled and everything, and uh, they were doing a revamp of trying to bring it back online. So I was one of the reporters on the red carpet to interview the, the cast of All My Children and One Life to Live, which was, a, you know, to, to see what they were going to be, to get their opinions of what was going to be the new changes that were going on from going to TV to online, what they thought about the future, what, how things were different and stuff like that. And of course, uh, that whole venture bombed terribly. Yeah. And they, 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 they didn't last very long online at all. It's a totally different world. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. I remember and it was, it was a shame that that ended up being the case. And uh, yeah, that's, I, was oh, that's... The, I was at the premiere of that. I got to see the premiere of the first episode of all my children and one life to live. And I was with all of those people, uh, Katie McLean, who I had a crush on, uh, oh, growing yeah. up as, as Dixie Dixie Cooney. Yes, yes, um, I know you mean. Uh, 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 we were talking about that. I joked about that on the red carpet and stuff like that. And um, and, and you know, well, Robin Strasswood, who I had now known for a while, she did a great interview with her. First time interviewing Erica Slezak. Uh-huh. Bob Woods and I became buddies. Bob Woods and I went to a bunch of events together. Oh, wow. I was also very good friends with okay. Catherine Hicklin, um, you know, who was on One Life to Live playing Lindsay. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah. So that whole crowd is, is, is Bob Woods, is he like a falsy type guy in real life? He's, he, he's a really cool dude. Uh-huh. He is just, he is super chill. Uh-huh. Um, there is just not enough good things I could say about him. We run into each other on the street. We, at different events and things like that for one life to live. And every time he's just, uh, just a really easygoing, nice guy. And I tell you what, too, uh, depending on when you were uh, watching the show there, one of the great ones, because the one I watched when I was growing up, that my mom got me into was Guiding Light, and one of the See, I don't even know what that is. Okay, it's a, C- a CBS one, and yeah, one, it's, one if of it's not on. As I say, I got hooked that right. one week with the chicken pox, well, and I never deviated. Well, I don't know if you know this guy or not, because he made his way over to One Life to Live. He took over the role of Clint Jerry Verdorn. That was he was uh, he was great on Guiding Light, and uh, in their last couple of years before they went down the crapper and they started firing everybody, they were downsizing somehow or another. He was too expensive for their crappy budget, and he went to One Life to Live and took over Clint Buchanan, and I guess he thrived yep. in that role. Well, but, you know, when, when they went to online, uh-huh. the salary cuts were extreme, and, and the online stuff was being produced in. Um, Connecticut. Yeah. They were going to Connecticut to produce that. And their salaries were obviously dramatically cut because there yes. was no way they were going to be able to do TV money on that thing. But I mean, just they couldn't even get the audience and the advertisers and stuff like that because it was just such a new venture. And there's no way. The reason why, I mean, when you start out and you have nothing and you're a kid on YouTube and stuff like that, yes, you can build it into an empire. But if you already are used to a certain way of living and you're already used to a certain salary, it's almost impossible, and nothing's impossible, but it's pretty pretty much impossible 
um, you know, to, to get that immediately when you're just starting out online. Yeah. You're just not going to do it. There's a huge, there's a huge learning curve and there's a huge slope up. You don't, and, and whatever was popular on TV does not have the same popularity online. It does well, not translate over to shock and awe at all. It's a totally different world. Well, and not only that, it's one of these things where one of the reasons that these shows get canceled is because of the demographics. Uh, the older demographics, those are the people least likely to seek it out online, even if they like the show. And that's a thing where, 100%, like, hundred percent, you know, hundred percent. And me being a kid of the Rust Belt, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in one of the markets in America where, when I was growing up, uh, the PBA on ABC was pretty big on Saturday afternoons. Chris Schenkel, Bo Burton, and uh, it, it was carrying great numbers, but it got canceled eventually because they thought that the demographics of it were too weak. And uh, yeah, that's the demographics uh, can be death. Meanwhile, here with the Oscars, they're not ever aiming for any of this kind of thing. They're they're aiming to be artsy, so they're not going for the whole mass market kind of a thing. They don't fall into that kind of a a, a deal here. These were movies this year that were even less on the radar than usual because of what the distribution were. I mean, usually these are the movies sort of least seen, the ones that are the critically uh, you know held up there ones. But uh, you know, you, you had less distribution probably even than usual. On, on a bunch of these ones here. There were a couple things that stood out as far I as... I saw none of the movies. Okay, I, I literally saw too. none of the movies. I saw none of them either, and ultimately... And, and that's goose egg. Just, I mean, sometimes people say, oh, I didn't see the winner of the movie, I didn't see any, hardly any of the movies, none of the popular movies make it to the Oscars. This time, literally nothing. Right. I did at one point want to see Nomadland. I just thought that was being a minimalist and yeah. being somebody that likes to live large on the cheap or, you know, spend as little as possible for things. Yeah. Um, you know, that just, that just, there was a part of me that wanted to see that. It just looked uh, very, very, very interesting to see how she managed, but I didn't, I didn't end up getting to a theater to see it. And I don't even know if the theaters were open at that point when that was out. Right. Necessarily yeah. over here. And, you know, I had some level of interest in seeing one night in Miami or the trial to Chicago seven didn't see either right. as of yet. Uh, but I, the, the one big upset here, and it's a thing where, and it's it's just, it's unfortunate in the sense that uh, all things being equal, this guy's never going to have another chance unless he's got any unreleased movies, which I doubt. Chadwick Boseman was going to posthumously, everyone thought, win for Best Actor, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Instead, it ends up being Anthony Hopkins as the father. And again, to his credit, Anthony Hopkins, nothing if not a class act. Uh, he, he was... Uh, when when he put out a video uh, talking about winning the thing here, he did do a, a very nice and heartfelt salute to Chadwick Boseman. So uh, you know you'd expect nothing less from him. But that was something right. where people were shocked when that happened. That was that that was a very very big story. That was a very, well, well. Didn't he also win most everything coming up to the Oscars? So he was thought of as a, a, a shoe in pretty much for the Oscars, or at least a very heavy favorite. I think so. Yeah, and uh, and uh, oldest winner. Anthony Hopkins at age 83, and uh, this was a thing where, uh, of the things that were done differently here, you, you, you have you know, best picture not going on last. That was a thing no. here, too. Uh, you don't expect to see the best uh, picture uh, category jerking the curtain here. I'm sure they wish that they it hadn't been last the year that they screwed up who actually won it, because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> a couple of years well, back. Yeah, yes, yes, which some of the hardest laughing I've ever done on the show have been you and I just riffing on that entire thing and that, that, that disaster. 
And, uh, yeah, I'm sure they wish that it had been buried in the middle of the show that year. But uh, instead, Nomadland wins it somewhere somewhere mid-card this year. I didn't know that Best Picture was now a mid-card category, but I guess it is. Well, let's put it this way. All bets were off, man. I mean, they, they, they well, they've gone hostless before, and I, I think the host is pretty extraneous anyway on that thing. But they've never not had, like, a musical number or some sort of big opening. I mean, the whole opening of this one was pretty much, um, wasn't it just Regina King, like, walking through, uh, you know, basically showcasing Union Station as she's walking through with an Oscar? I mean, there was no big fanfare or anything pomp and circumstance that you'd attribute to the Oscars normally. So I think that set the stage that this was going to be a whole different game, a whole different vision than you've ever seen before. It was, and she made sort of, an oblique, this is one of these things where it's all sort of the prism that you're looking at it through. She made sort of an oblique reference to the George Floyd trial in her opening monologue. So, I mean, for a guy like me, in terms of what my expectations are, my cynical expectations, you know, the, the, if you were betting the over, this came in at the under for prophetizing in my book. This was less than I expected through the course of the night. But then there are people who are offended by the amount of proselytizing that they saw feel that it had something to do with the ratings being as low. I think part of it is, and I think one of the great lessons of the pandemic is, I mean, everything that got knocked out of whack last year, whether it be, you know, when the NBA Finals were on or the Kentucky Derby last year or anything, anything was, and we all thought, right, that since people are home so much more and whatever, everything is going to be at least where it's at, if not up. No, people are creatures of habit, man. I know the Indianapolis 500 did a historically bad number last August. I mean, if things aren't where they're expected to be, it's going to be off. And who knew that so many people were sitting there like, if it's the first Sunday in March, i got to be here for the Academy Awards. But apparently that is the case, John, because I think having it here at the end of April in springtime this is this just must have thrown some people. I, I think it was more so that than the amount of proselytizing, unless everyone just expected going in that they were going to get beat over the head with politics. Well, a lot of times, I, I think I think the Oscars gets criticized, and I think a lot of awards shows, but the Oscars in particular, gets criticized a lot for uh, injecting a lot of political opinions into what's supposed to be an entertainment venue. Yes. And that's something, it's, I, I don't think it's ever been something that's not been criticized about or at least talked about about sure. the Oscars. Um, it's exactly. always that way. But I think you hit the nail on the head. You must have graduated from carpentry school because <laughs> you nailed it. Um, as far as uh, things, people, it's funny, people always say, oh, well, this person's your biggest fan, this person's your biggest fan. I never get excited about hearing things like that because I always know that there are limiting circumstances. That person may be somebody's biggest fan because of a, of a certain time, of a certain part of day, of a certain uh, moment of time that that person w was introduced to you, and all of a sudden you clicked with that person. Because I always go back, to, which is why I also think you're right about the Oscars because of the change of time and, and everything. It's everybody. If, if it doesn't come when they're expecting it, it's not that everybody's going to change their whole life to find it. Because I remember back in the day when Howard Stern first started on Sirius, there were so many stories and so many. I mean, I always say, I always say, a great deal for great deal for Howard, not so much for Sirius. I mean, he's a huge talent, but he was like extremely large on terrestrial radio, and they thought all of his terrestrial radio fans would migrate over to Sirius immediately when he moved there. Yeah, and that did not happen at all. 
in the beginning. I mean, yeah. granted, he's huge now on it and, and everything, and he's always been huge, period. But it was not what they felt like. But these fans are going to be rabid. They'll gladly pay whatever it was, $5 for their discounted package to have series. And it didn't happen at all like that. It, 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 was, it, it was more of a trickle in, and, and, and that massive terrestrial uh, audience did not go in mass too serious in the way that it was thought it was going to. And it's the same thing with anything. Somebody can love a certain show, but as soon as that show turns, turns time period, all that a massive amount of love they may have for that show and that dedication you may think they have for that show dissipates. Absolutely. So it's, there are many limiting factors. So I think you hit the nail on the head by saying that the change in time, the other things that are going on in the world, the two-month delay, um, you know, it, out of sight, out of mind. And sometimes it's not a strong enough draw just because, oh, I, I got to see the Oscars. It's more like I got to see the Oscars because it fits into my schedule here and I'm used to seeing it here and this is something I've done year in and year out. Uh, as soon as one of those factors changes, that desire to see it may not be there. Yeah, and I think there are definitely people who tuned in who were upset at the uh, demystifying of it. Uh, I don't. I didn't get a chance to, to to clock in on the specific objections, but I know that another one of our FBH Lounge dignitaries, uh, a New York media journalist, Simon Applebaum. I did see on social media that he was critical uh, of the ceremony in real time because I think he is expecting something that has you know more dignity than what they ended up having there. And that uh, because it, it, it was, you know, a much looser, more informal kind of a deal. I think there's no question about that. But I mean, as far as stuff goes with politics and the Oscars, I mean, myself as a self-styled student of history, I mean, the, the amount of politics that we're getting in there these days is a thing where I, I just had I been around at that time and been seeing this, I can't even imagine how livid I would have been. But I've read about this in 1975. When they had the Oscars, it was apparently right after the fall of Saigon, and you uh -huh. had actors that were. And I think there was there was some kind of Vietnam documentary that won, uh, you know, Oscars, and it was one of these agit prop kind of deals. And the, the, these a holes are up on stage, like cocking their fist, like uh, power to the people of the Viet Cong and whatever. Like, oh my God, if I had been around at that time to see something like that, I can't imagine the kind of violence I might have perpetrated. Uh, you know, through my TV screen. So, I mean, compare what we're getting these days to people overtly sympathizing with the enemies of our country back in the day. It's actually been worse a lot uh, of times in history than right now, John. Uh, yes. Yeah, no, I, I, I could definitely, um, I mean, I also think that sometimes with these award shows, and I think we've talked about this in the past and have agreed on it, I think there's a place and a time for everything, and I think sometimes people need to get away from politics and I think sometimes people need to get away from the controversy and people need to get away from the stress and I think that's where entertainment lies so uh, I've never been a fan of injecting that into the entertainment venue uh, no matter what your side is or no matter what your position is I think sometimes people just need a break and I think entertainment provides that break and, and, and it should be given to them at that point Agreed and I, I think that, that it, we're all better served when that happens and, and when we're able to, to focus on things that can be uh, unifying as far as entertainment in these very, very uh, divisive times. Uh, it was postulated by some that uh, moving the best picture up in the show here was to put toward the end of the show something that people thought would be a feel-good moment. The presumption that Chadwick Boseman is going to win and let's celebrate his life and whatever. And if so, it just shows you how much that backfired because... Uh, 
you know, yeah, that's uh, anytime they think about doing it that way in the future, they might want to you know, keep this in mind. You never actually know how these things are going to go until they uh, manifest themselves. Well, the thing is, uh, you know, as you pointed out, you never know until you try. But yeah. sometimes the other side of that coin is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, if, if there's not been a complaint about, you know, doing the order of the Oscars the way it was and everything leading up to Best Picture, which is a natural finale. I mean, to be honest with you, right. with everything, it's, it's a very, very natural finale. To, and it's also been something that's been it's not like it's been used like 80% of the time and 20% it was different. It's been used 100% of the time. Right. It's, it's been 100% of the time that way. You already have enough changes going on. Sometimes, you know, a little change is good. Too much change turns everyone off, if you know what I mean. Exactly. So I, I, I definitely was not a fan of mentioning Best Picture in the middle of the show or right. towards two-thirds into the show or whatever. And uh, according to Wikipedia, the only deviation that there ever was was the 44th Academy Awards in 1972. They had an Academy Honorary Award that they gave to Charlie Chaplin, and that's what they ended with. But, I mean, that's one of those things where you're not, you're not switching the order of the actual things. You're adding one more thing at the end. You know? That's just so, putting in a bonus. Yeah, that's it's a bonus. That's just putting in an extra. That's different. Exactly. It's sort of... Yeah, you know, somebody like me, I always got to use the, uh, the the pro wrestling analogies. That's the co-main event, essentially. You had a double main event that night, so to speak. There uh, you go. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You, you got a bonus. Yes. You, you get a, you go, it, it's not a restructuring. Yes, versus this is the equivalent of taking one of your two semi-main events and moving it into a main event spot, and you shouldn't be doing that. It should be best picture. And, uh, again, uh, I think they will probably learn from their experience here. And, uh, again, much like last year, last year was one that was going to be completely different than anything before or since, like right in the middle of the pandemic era. And then, you know, this year uh, you, you have sort of a, a similar kind of a thing. We're segueing our way out, one foot in the pandemic era, one foot out. 2022, you would guess that it's going to be probably much more like 2019 than either of the last two years. So, did you have any other uh, big takeaways from this uh, well, weird twenty twenty one? As you pointed out in the early part of the show, in addition to being an FDH lounge dignitary, <laughs> I'm also a motivational dude. Yeah. So I try to look for the positive. Okay. And I just thought it was thank thank God you just saw people on the red carpet without masks on. Just yeah. thank God for small favors. I mean, just moving forward in a positive direction, yep. trying to go back to normalcy. Um, in, in, a, in a good way as we get, you know, the dangerous elements of a pandemic under control, but showing that there is hope to move forward to a better, to, to regain a better time and then move forward even better beyond that. Absolutely. But, uh, that, that was just nice because you know how long it's been since you even see sometimes reporters uh, with the uh, masks on everything. And then even when people were doing some stuff um, on Zoom, sometimes you see them with the masks on and things. So just to even see them, the regular celebrities and see full face, and not just eyes and hair, it was nice. Yes. It was a step in the right direction and showing we are at least stepping of one foot, as you pointed out, out of this. Well, and I'm so glad you mentioned that because it reminded me to mention one of my favorite show guests here, Liz Clayman from Fox Business. I happened to note during the awards where she was talking about this with great pride on Twitter, it is her sister that was the epidemiologist who was, and I actually saw her on camera at one point, Liz's sister, who was administering the safety measures there at the thing. So they were able to go without masks due to a combination of 
folks having been vaxxed. I'm sure they were doing the temperature checks and immediate checks. So they had practices there that allowed it to happen. And uh, again, I'm so glad that they did, because like you said, you give us something positive here to look at, aspirational. We're moving out of this thing, at least in this country. There are parts of the world, unfortunately, not so uh, fortunate like India, where it's just a godforsaken tragedy right now. But in this country right now, thankfully, we are moving out of this, hopefully irretrievably out of this. Hopefully, we're not going to slide back at any point. But the, the pace of the vaccinations uh, is, is allowing us to get through this thing here and, and get to a place. So very, very well done on your point, pointing that out, and that this is a step towards normalcy, seeing it the way that we did. Anything else jump out at you about this weird-ass 2021 version? <laughs> well, I have to, I, I have to say uh, one thing, and I've thought this every time I've seen her win, but uh, God bless the other actresses in a category when Frances McDormand is nominated. Because she is just a powerhouse at winning that thing. Yep. Uh, she, she just seems to always have a lock on it. Um, and as I said, I did not get a chance to see Nomadland. I'm thinking back because I said, oh, that's one I want. I'm, I was thinking about seeing. But I don't think the movie theaters were even open here when that was there. But I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, none of these are getting any publicity. She's in this one. I bet she's going to win Best Actress. Yeah. And, and that was like the first thought, and then and, and, and then and then she did. And it was also very very nice to see um, the uh, uh, director of um, Nomadland winning, which was uh, what was that? I think it's only the second female director who's ever won. I believe so. Uh, yeah. You know, which is which is which was really really Chloe Zhao, I think is her name. Yes. And that was that was amazing. Yes. So that, that was something. And Frances McDormand, I I gotta say, this is one of these things. I mean. If there is a, a picture in the dictionary next to the word gravitas, it would be her in any of her roles. I mean, actor, actress, whatever. Nobody embodies it like her. And you know what? Compare her to Anthony Hopkins, best actor. Anthony Hopkins has got a lot of gravitas, but he's like carrot top compared to her. You know what I mean? Nobody uses well, I, I, gravitas I like, like her. I only because she's eight. She's the most atypical actress, in my opinion, that you ever see. I mean, she's totally into her craft. She's totally great at what she does, but she doesn't get involved at all. I think in the glam and the pop and the circumstance and right. the, you know a lot of the um, you know other stuff that go, that people get into the movies for right she doesn't seem to even care about right. you know what i mean right she doesn't seem to care about any of the trappings of celebrity um at at, at all and she's so into the work yeah and she's she's just she, she just stands out uh, against everyone else i mean there are other actresses that are somewhat that way but she's just at completely a total uh, end of the spectrum from everyone else. Totally agree. I mean, and when you hear people talking and using the phrase, and it's gotten to be more popular over a period of time, do the work, again, she embodies that. Total workhorse, and that's how she's attained this kind of greatness. Because like you said, I, I think she's got blinders, she's got tunnel vision, she throws herself into every role, she wants to be the greatest there is at doing it and embodying each of these roles. And, yeah, it's no wonder she keeps racking them up here. I mean, she is uh, the pro's pro when it comes to this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, her and Anthony Hopkins, uh, you know, actors, actors, uh, to, to be sure. So, I mean, one kind of touch of normalcy in a weird year like this is to see two titans like that taking home the Oscars, even if, again, in the case of Hopkins, it was a little bit unforeseen. Uh, that he would win this one, but uh, 
Yeah, it was uh, it was it was definitely a weird and out of the ordinary kind of uh, Oscars here. And uh, as far as what it looks like in 2022, uh, we shall see. I'm sure they're hard at work thinking about how they're going to bounce back in terms of the viewership and the trappings of it and everything else like that. But uh, I, I think like wasn't this. It on a de- I, mean, but just, I, I think we talked about it previous years too. Wasn't it always on a decline? It was just a bigger decline this year. I mean, it's not ever been like on an upswing yeah. since we started and doing the show. The Oscars has sort of, it's, it's like almost like a, the law of attrition. It's just been wearing away, wearing away, wearing away. And it just wore away a little bit more this time. I think this one was the first time ever below 10 million viewers. I think it was in the nines, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, and that, that was the lowest by far. But we commented, I think, last year that it was lower than the year before. Well, yeah, and like last year, I think it was in the 20s, but you don't have to go too far back. It was like the middle of the 2010s when it was mm-hmm. routinely in the 40 millions. So you're talking now, now about... Now look at that. Now look at the difference there. You're talking about, you're talking about, then last year we were talking about 20 million, and you're saying in the, in the, in the 2010s, you're talking about 40 million, right? There's a 50% decrease. That's yeah. huge. Yeah, and that's, uh, my rudimentary grasp of math tells me, uh, what, what would that be, an 80% drop or whatever from the 40s? I mean, yeah, that's, that's pretty bad to be down as much as they were. And uh, inevitably there was uh, a, a statement that came out from Mar-a-Lago gloating about that. I did I did see somebody on Twitter noting that Trump is in the fat Elvis phase of his media career at this point uh, and uh, gloating about uh, what the ratings were. So, uh, you know, a, a certain rotund orange guy was kind of happy about how it went. I don't think anybody uh, still in the entertainment business was happy about how it went, but we'll have to see. 2022 is sure to be a bounce back in some ways. Uh, I, I'm sure that this is probably a plateau, a, a low point for the audience that they will come back from. Uh, there will be movies in the next year. I think that people will be more excited about than this crop because they'll have actually had a chance to see them in the theaters. Go figure. So um, is, uh, uh, one thing I am interested, just as a, um, I guess we're, I, we're both obviously, um, you know, with our, our our businesses and other things we do in entrepreneurial directions, um, you know. Uh, pretty much uh, workers on the internet and stuff like that. And you know when change happens, sometimes things don't swing back completely the way they were before that. And now with all these different streaming services and with movies, because of out of necessity, having to find other ways to reach an audience and things like, what is it, HBO, uh, is it HBO Max? And and different things that you're just seeing the movies. I wonder how much of that is going to continue in a strong way and also start... uh, eroding the uh you know uh, population that's actually going to the movies i wonder how much even after the pandemic is over and people do feel more safe and there are more people venturing out i wonder first of all how quickly it's going to bounce back and if it's ever going to bounce back as fully or if this is going to be a totally new normal moving forward john that's an amazing point because one of my fdh lounge dignitaries ben chu who he and i have done a lot of segments analyzing the streaming industry because we're both real big nerds for the business of streaming he has postulated and i think he's right that one of the things that has caused all of these things in the last year to take a big hit uh, and irretrievable in some ways is that streaming really blew up during the pandemic people wanted stuff on demand and that as so many things have accelerated and drastically. so did amazon as opposed to brick and mortar stores amazon 
Yes, uh, with, with things like Zoom calls and working remotely. Working remotely was already getting bigger before that, that whole thing. Uh, it exploded. All these things that have exploded, streaming, and that streaming is never going to be as small as it was before because people have been trained to get things on demand. So I don't think it's ever headed back to the 40 millions. I, gr I grant you that. Can it make it back uh, to the I wonder 20s? how many things are going to even continue. Because remember, when you're talking about things like brick-and-mortar stores, you're talking about brick-and-mortar theaters. And those are bloated industries. What I mean by that is those are industries with a very high overhead. Yes. When you're talking about streaming, you have they're very streamlined, non-bloated industries with a very low overhead in comparison. Yes. And this it's almost like it's almost like out of necessity learning a different way to do things. And it's a different way of doing things that's not just going to be passing but could possibly totally eclipse the previous way of doing things. Well, and that's why, as you saw recently with uh, the NFL TV deal, the new NHL TV deal going up, even though ratings have been uh, going down and some of these things here, it's because that's the last holdout. Pro wrestling is much the same because it's at least mm -hmm. filmed live uh, as, as sports slash entertainment. And the Oscars theoretically would be one of these things where it'd be, oh, okay, well, it's going to be live. we got to see it. There are so few things anymore that are appointment viewing, and probably 90% of them are sports. And then you have a couple of other things here and there that kind of fall into that. Theoretically, the Oscars are still a part of that. Look, I'll bet you they're back up over $20 million next year if they're back in a normal time slot and where we're used to seeing them. I don't think they'll ever see the 40s again. I think that's right. And, and it may slide from the 20s and the years after that. But, yeah, I mean, something but tells it'll be, me. It'll be better than nine. It'll be, yeah, much better than this. And according to Wikipedia, for whatever that's worth, the final calc came in at, like, $10.4 So it just oozed above $10 million, barely. But, again, that still had to be horrifying to the powers that be relative to what. And they had to know they were going to take a real haircut this year. But, I mean, nobody probably saw it going to that. Nobody saw them, you know, being able to be used as a punchline for Trump, of all people, <laughs> by the time it was all said and done. But, you know, I think the way that it went, uh, you know, they might be laughing out the other side of their mouth next year if it's back above $20 million, which I think it might be. And, Listen, they might see 10.4 million again, but I think it could take them another 10 or 15 years to fall back this low, uh, as, as things keep getting you know more and more stretched different ways as far as eyeballs go. But that's just my guess. We'll have to see uh -huh. if it goes up again or not. But uh, one way or another, uh, something like this, uh, these awards shows here, the Oscars and all of this, the perfect thing for breaking down with my man John Base now, as we say, FDH Lounge dignitary. Motivation, fitness, pop culture expert, purveyor of JB's fantastic finds, the show that is blowing up and redefining the entertaining auction industry, redefining, basically defining it, so to speak. There have never been entertaining auctions before, an auction merged with with entertainment. But uh, if anybody could I do have, it, I have literally no idea what I'm doing. I'm learning. I'm learning every day. I'm on that crazy show. It's just been a wild, wild ride. Well, and, and it, I, I do, and I do feel like a pioneer in that path because there is no model to follow. You are, so, you are, and you are, you are the master of reinvention, my man. I mean, these things keep uh, keep coming up here. You keep mastering them and whatever. But uh, JB's fantastic finds looks like something you're going to be doing for as far as the eye can see, and we all look forward to keeping checking on it out. Much love, as I say, it has. I'm just going to say it's been a fun ride. I'm totally learning it by the seat of my pants, by the seat of my pants, and uh, just. Um, <laughs> 
enjoying the ride because it has really been fun. There's a lot of great viewers who are getting treasures and having happy moments. And I think some of the best things I see on that show are the comments when you see a comment saying, I just love watching this show because this is the time I look forward to, you know, unwinding, not worrying about things and just feeling happy and enthused, getting educated on some stuff, but then being with friends. Yeah. And that's really a nice comment to, to, to have on a show. You, you say an auction show, but it's a lot of people, I mean, they're using it as a sort of get together fun spot, which is because they're all conversing with themselves in the comments much like um, I'm seeing those comments or I'm conversing them from like, you know, TV from camera to, to their comments. Sure. And, uh, and, and, and so that's why it's, it's, it's a totally unique experience, but I was very surprised to see some of the comments and seeing how, um, you know, people saying, I just look forward to this. I can't wait for it to start and things. And, um, you know, just looking forward, not only to learning more, but also to being with friends having a positivity only zone, which is what we talk about. We also kick negativity to the curb and there's no whining, complaining or moaning about anything. It's all going to be up, up, up. And that's what we do on the show. And then they also get some little treasures that make them happy and get those endorphins flowing too. Well, in terms of the limitations of the word auction for summing up what you're doing, that's exactly why if somebody put a gun to my head and said, sum up this show in one word, I'd have to say, well, pull the trigger, bro, because there's no way I can sum it up in just one word. Anything you want to put on this would be limiting as far as capturing what's being done here. But uh, as with everything else uh, you're doing, you are mastering it, you are making it your own, and uh, you are adapting and reinventing like few others out there. So uh, all the best on that, and uh, until the next time we're on this show, chatting about some silliness. I look forward to checking out everything you got going on. Much love, my friend. As I say, anytime you want me back, just give me a holler. Truly appreciate it, John. Thank you so much. The great John Bastow, everybody. Thank you for checking out this great mini-episode of the FDH Lounge.